Welcome to the Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast with your host, Cody Jansen. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Cody Jansen, and welcome to another episode of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, episode 21, brought to you by CSD Tires. It's a crazy world we're living in right now. Some things that have become normal seem to make you feel like you're living in a movie, but our hope is to offer some reprieve from the stresses around us and a respite amid the current COVID-19 outbreak. We know that the Texas ATV Motocross National has been rescheduled as the finale rather than the season opener. We talked about that on the previous podcast. And I think that south of the border could be in doubt too, but no news at this time. We'll be sure to keep you guys informed with all breaking news coming on our social media platforms with podcasts to follow. But for now, happy things. Special episode tonight. So thanks for listening to the number one podcast in ATV racing. Some of you might have heard that we were informed that approximately a million podcasts are in existence today, and Digging Deep is the 187th most listened to podcast in our category of sports and outdoors, the largest and most competitive category there is. So we're in the 99th percentile for growth, meaning that we're part of the elite fastest growing 1% of podcasts. And to date, we have over 832,000 downloads, which is absolutely incredible for a niche sport like us. So thank you for all your support. You're amazing. And we're here because of and thanks to you. Josh Creamer is our featured guest tonight. So stoked to get the 2010 AMA ATV Pro Champ on. He's a legend. I've been trying to make this one happen for a while, so super stoked about this. But before we dig in, let's thank all the great people who make this podcast possible. Thanks to our title sponsor, CST Tires, csttires.com. The Pulse MXR tire is the best tire on the market no matter what the terrain. Join the CST takeover today or prepare to be beat by someone who did. CST Tires, where passion meets the ground. Thanks to Motorsports Powerhouse and show sponsor, Yamaha. We are proud to be partnered with the winningest manufacturer of the past decade in ATV motocross and the number one OEM supporter of ATV racing. The Digging Deep ATV MX podcast is Team Blue Crew. Thank you, Yamaha. Check them out at YamahaOutdoors.com. Thanks to another member of Racing Royalty and longtime sponsor of my personal racing efforts, Valvoline. For over 150 years, Valvoline has been dedicated to innovating and improving your driving and riding experience. The world's oldest oil company still leads the charge with unrivaled products and lubricants. Thanks to Team Valvoline for coming on board. We are proud to be partnered with Gripped Gloves. Gripped is an ATV rider owned and operated brand with the rider in mind and keeping costs affordable the goal. This Michigan-based family operation recognizes riders' desire to showcase their identity with eccentric colorways and crazy patterns, something not often found by the work of big manufacturers. Here to push stereotypes and limitations, Gripped is driven to produce a glove with cool colors and designs that won't break the bank. Get a grip on life. Check them out today at grippedgloves.com. That's G-R-I-P-T gloves.com and use discount code DIGGINGDEEP10 to save. Thank you to SSI Decals. SSI Decals was a key contributor to Team USA's winning efforts at the Quad Cross of Nations, Joel Hetrick's 2019 Pro Title, my national championship last season, as well as Chad Wienan's program that tasted victory in Daytona. Simply put, SSI Decals is the choice of champions everywhere, 
Their track record speaks for itself. Champions choose SSI decals for unmatched look and quality. Thanks to those guys. Check them out today at SSIDecals.com. Thank you to DID Racing Chain and their 520 ATV2 X-Ring Chain. Team USA, Joel Hetrick, and myself all trusted DID's unrivaled chain quality all the way to championship victory this past season. Wherever you go, go with DID. Thank you, Namira Technologies. Namira, pistons with an attitude. Namira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side markets since 2001 with their wide array of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry-leading top-end repair kits. Visit your local dealer or online at namira.com. That's N-A-M-U-R-A.com. Also, big thanks to Bronco ATV and UTV components. Bronco has been the industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. Whether it's electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, suspension parts or bearing kits, Bronco is your hard parts source when it comes to whatever you need for whatever you ride, broncoatv.com. Thanks to 4Works Carbon for their continued support. Known for their hoods, seat covers, array of carbon parts, and so much more, 4Works is your one-stop shop to give your ATV a new and improved look with increased function for 2020. New year, new look with 4Works Carbon. Head over to the social media pages or website today. Thank you, 4Works Carbon. Thanks as always to Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant. Upgrade to Evans now to avoid overheating and boil over next time you hit the track. When conditions are at their worst, Evans is at its best. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP20 to save at checkout, evanscoolant.com. Thank you to DP Brakes, the unquestioned leader in motorsports and power sports braking. DP is the brand responsible for allowing Joel Hetrick, myself, and so many others to outbreak the competition every time we hit the racetrack. It's not too late to join the team, so act fast www.dp-breaks.com. Thanks to Blenders Eyewear, whose life and forward motion brand is the perfect fit to partner with our podcast. You won't find better shades for more attractive price anywhere else. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP20 to save on the trendiest shades on the market, blenderseyewear.com. Thanks to Oats Overnight. Life is hard. Make breakfast easy. Simply combine with milk before bed and enjoy your to-go breakfast in the morning. Overnight oatmeal loaded with superfoods, perfect for athletes. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP10 to save at checkout, oatsovernight.com. Thank you, Mountaineer Brand. If you know me, you know I love my beard. That's why I treat it right with Mountaineer Brand's all-natural washes, oils, balms, and more. Use discount code CODYSFAVE in all caps, that's C-O-D-Y-S-F-A-V, CODYSFAVE, at mountaineerbrand.com. Thanks to Avocado Green Mattresses. We all know that sleep and rest are an important part of any athlete's routine. Avocado's line of natural mattresses provides exactly the support you need to ensure you perform at your best while doing the best for the planet. The Avocado Mattress offers zone back support with an internal support unit, meaning whether you are recovering from a hard day of riding or relaxing on a Sunday afternoon, you will be experiencing next level comfort. With a 100-night sleep trial, free shipping and return pickups, and a 25-year warranty, getting your Avocado Green Mattress could not be any easier. Step up your sleep game by visiting avocadomattress.com. And finally, we're excited to announce our latest partnership with Roman Health. On average, how many days would you guess that an average American has to wait to see a doctor? The answer is 29 days. Americans are forced to wait on average 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. 
That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform to connect you with a licensed doctor in your state from the comfort of your own home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy will ship your medication to you for free with two-day shipping at no cost to you. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. There are no commitments, so you can cancel any time with Roman. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com digging, and that digging has to be in lowercase, for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com digging, digging in lowercase, GetRoman.com digging, for your free online visit and free two-day shipping. From our new partners to our original sponsors, thanks for supporting the number one podcast in ATV racing and for making this dream a reality for both us and our listeners. We pride ourselves in partnering with only the best brands inside and outside of the industry, so better your riding experience and your lifestyle by supporting the sponsors who support us. If you enjoy the show, the best thing you can do is support our partners. And if you're interested in becoming a partner of the show, shoot me a message or email today for more details. Once again, thanks to all of our sponsors. And now, get ready to dig deep with a legend. Enjoy. We're so stoked to welcome this guy to the show. He's a former AMA ATV Pro champion and someone I wanted to get on the podcast since we started this thing. Brought to you by DID Racing Chain and their 520 ATV2 X-Ring Chain. It's an honor to welcome Josh Creamer to the podcast. What's up, pal? Thanks for coming on tonight. Yeah, what's happening? Just uh, getting home from work and settling down for the night. Yeah, I love it. We... Um, you were always one of my personally, my favorite riders. I always loved your style. I always enjoyed your tenacity. And, uh, you know, I just, I think you have an intriguing story to boot. So super pumped to get you on obviously as well as because, um, you were probably our most fan requested rider. So, um, they've been begging for you and, and it's exciting to get you on, kind of give them what they want. So, um, again, Thanks for coming on and hanging out with us, fitting us into your schedule between work and uh, and hunting and all the stuff that you got going on that keeps you busy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I'm uh, happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I mean, you know, so people probably most notably remember you for your, your title in 2010, but um, I'm sure for you, like that brings back incredible, you know, memories, obviously to relive that and stuff, but before we get to that, I kind of want to take it from the, the beginning. You know, my first memories of you um, were probably from like 2006, running the, the number 270. Um, but I want to go all the way back to the beginning, back to the very start. So how did you first get introduced to ATVs and ATV racing? Well, shit. Um, I... My dad did a job for a dude one time, and I don't even know how old I was. I had to be maybe 10 okay, or something like that, and somebody's kid had an LT80, and they gave that to my dad, and then I started beating that thing around, and I mean, I always just kind of had a four-wheeler, and then uh, I had a Kawasaki Bayou. Okay. And- <laughs> I, yeah, and I, I, I always wanted to go fast on stuff, and 
turns out both those machines were not made to do stuff that I did on them and uh, it just basically destroyed everything. Um, and I got a 300EX and my first race I ever did was a hair scramble that uh, my buddy Justin Hoffler got me to go to and I had no idea what to expect. Basically it was a stock 300EX with Nerf bars on it. And it was at Central Cycle in Plainfield. And uh, I forget how many quads were there, but it was like they started us off the starting gate, but it was like, I don't know, it had to be at least 50 or better. Okay. Yeah. And I don't, I, like, honestly, I don't remember much about the event. I just remember winning the event. Okay. Right from <laughs> I, the jump. Yeah, there was, you know, it was friggin' Raptors in there and uh, basically everything up until that. That was back in 2002 or 2003. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, it was a, a broad variety of stuff. And I flipped into a river one time, got it back going again. But, yeah, I ended up still winning the race. So I was, <laughs> that was how it kind of all started. And then, and then I saw um, – I went to another race the following year. Um, so I guess it must have been 2002. I went to Southwick, and it was the national. Oh, okay. The bike national or no? The quad national? Totally yeah, okay. quad national. Yep. Yep. And uh, I don't know. I must have been watching C class or B class or I don't know. Who knows? And I'm like, okay. I mean, these guys kind of suck. <laughs> I think I, I'm pretty sure I can beat these guys. So, I, so so the story that I had once heard or read or something was yeah, you found your way into must have been any ATV maybe right at the beginning. Yep. And you had went from like novice class to a class in like, right. Like the first year you were racing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the following year, um, I was riding a Z 400 at the time that I went to that race. Okay. Um, and I drove to New York and traded some dude straight up for a Cannondale, <laughs> which I thought you just bought these four wheelers and they were ready to go race. Like, I didn't know they didn't do anything. Right. You had um, no, you had no background in, in racing. So yeah, I had no idea about anything. So I just got it and went to the freaking starting line. And yeah, my first race was at Southwick on that Cannondale. I had 20 inch tires on or yeah, 20 inch tires on it, all stock suspension. And I went out and just destroyed everyone. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that was easy. And then kind of met a couple of dudes and found out that you needed to do some suspension work and maybe go with smaller tires. And uh, yeah, the next race, wherever it may have been, uh, that just made it worse for everybody else. Right. Uh, yeah. um, so then I bumped up to B class and I won that and then went back to Southwick and jumped up to the A class. And that was back when you used to go up the start stretch hook a right and then kind of go down and over that tabletop yep. yep and i came out in second went down and over that first little tabletop except i just had my rear shock rebuilt and you know, i didn't know anything about setting it up and went over that tabletop on the front tires landed on nothing got creamed by a couple of dudes ended up breaking my back and i think i was racing about a month later <laughs> Okay. So, yeah. So, so to recap, you know, you like first year racing, you are start, like start at the bottom. Now you're already kind of at 
the top of local racing or at least racing at the top of local racing. So then how do you find your way to like your first test of the national scene? Cause I'm assuming what happens is you start winning local, you start winning like any ATV and you start looking for more competition. I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was that first year we jumped up to the A class and then, um, then I met uh, Mike Walsh and that was probably the biggest help throughout my whole career is it kind of taught me or yeah, it showed me wh what to do kind of at that point. Um, so then, yeah, in 2004, then I raced local again, but you know, in the pro and the pro-am ranks. And yeah. uh, that was when, that was when I was like, okay, well now we need to go somewhere else and find some more competition. Then I found out, you know, about the nationals and shit. Cause I didn't, I had no idea. I, I had no, no idea about any sort of series or this or that or anything. Right. Uh, yeah. So then 2005 is when we uh, jumped into the first, uh, first nationals. Yeah. Cause you, you raced, you, did you win the pro-am championship that year? In, in 05? Five. Yeah, yeah. That's what I five. thought. I drove out to California with my buddy Eldon Towns and Vinny Mofford and we were in what the hell was I I literally I don't know what we drove out there in 05 but um had to be my the black truck that I had but we just took like a regular trailer I think and we stopped along the way we rode here rode there whatever got to Glen Helen and I was I think I was planning on racing pro-am or something but I went out and practiced for the pros and literally was throwing lap times there. So I went out and said, screw it, I'm going to race the pro class. And, and it ended up being like a mud fest or something. I don't know. I, I blew up first okay. moto. Okay. And uh, then went back. I forget what that – I think the, maybe the next race might have been Texas that year, but I didn't go. It was. Yep, it was. Yeah. Yep. And I didn't go because I blew up the first round. And then third race was in – florida at gatorback gatorback yeah and that was when there was yeah i don't know how many pros were trying to qualify but i ended up qualifying for the race but did shitty and mike's like dude what are, what are you doing like why don't you just go back in the pro and just go win the championship and that was when you still had four rounds that you could throw away or something like that okay and yeah so that's what i did <laughs> going back and i went the Pro-Am okay. Production Championship that year. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought that you had won that in 05. And yeah, they had a bunch of throwouts, but there was like 14 races or something. So there was still... Yeah, it was, it was crazy how many races. It was 14 or 16 rounds. Um, yeah. It was a lot. Yeah, it was a ton. So I knew that you had won that championship in 05. And who, so who, who were you racing against? It must have been like Upperman and Rocco Arno. Yeah, that was basically the three of us. Uh, it was when I started running the Pro-Am class, it was at, uh, what's the track in Georgia? Aonia Pass? Or... No, no, it's going, Macon. Oh, at no. Chikani, at Chikani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, okay. So that was the first race that I did in Pro-Am, and I think Rocco was leading both classes at that point. Okay. The Pro-Am Unlimited and the Pro-Am Production. And I ended up winning the Pro-Am Production that year. And then Upperman, I think, stole the Unlimited from him right towards the end of the year as well. So, oh. Oh. but yeah, it was basically, it was a battle between me, Rocco, and uh, Upperman all year. And then I think Bobby Ross was there, Mark Kendall. Uh, those, cl those classes were stacked. And I remember 
so back then pro-am was so stacked that it, it, it like felt more like the like the lights class you know it yeah. wasn't like wasn't like yeah. a top amateur class it was like an extension of pro kind of right yeah i mean it was a qualifier every round yeah so i looked at you guys like i looked at i looked at rocco arno upperman you bobby ross mark kendall all those guys like 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 pros you know like that's what you were and uh so that was that was cool uh, i knew like those pro-am years are, are stuck in my mind for me and then i guess at the time i didn't even realize like you were literally two years removed from just starting riding <laughs> like that's crazy yeah. Yeah, uh, i mean i i had always beat around the woods and everything and you know if i would have had it my way i would have been on a dirt bike but my dad uh he wouldn't let me get one Oh, I had an, I had an XR100 that I thought was a friggin' CR125, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't. Um, right. But yeah, then I told him I was going to race four wheelers, and he's like, "Whatever, I don't care about that. You can do whatever you want. That's stupid, but sure." And That's then cool. af after the first uh, the first year, he thought I was an idiot because he saw how much I was spending. The second year, he's like, "Well, maybe I'll help him out." And the third year. Then we were both broke. We're yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the what's that saying? If you if you want to have a million dollars racing, start with two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so um so yeah. Oh five, you win the championship there in pro am, and like now, I mean, did that open any doors for you? So you did that with Walsh, and then you were with K and K the next year, right? Yeah. Um. That was. Uh... That would have been going into 06. That would have been your pro rookie year, right? Like full-time yeah. pro yep. rookie year. Yep. And, uh, yeah, Sean Turby there, he, uh, he helped me from K and K got, he kind of gave me a trailer to use and, uh, helped me out with a lot of the parts. And, uh, yeah, and then that's when I met, well, I already knew my other, uh, buddy Dave Therian, who was my mechanic that year. Okay. Um, cause I kind of started beating his ass, um, in 04 in 05 up in new england so i kind of oh, okay ended, i ended his career <laughs> yeah he uh he likes to chime in on the, the podcast posts and stuff if it's got anything uh -huh. to do with you so that's it's actually really cool because he is able to give a bunch of insight to you know people that are asking questions about you or trying to remember things about you so um that's really he, cool that he hops on there and does that he's got a good memory i on the other hand have a terrible memory um but i mean yeah he was around my entire career so if anybody knows anything he does yeah that's awesome um so yeah then tell me about that what was your what was your pro rookie year like there in 2006 uh it was up and down it was a lot it was an emotional roller coaster is what it was because i had uh i was on my motor program, I think, changed a lot that year. But oh, okay. I think by the end of the year, I was on Sparks Motors or something. And I mean, I was 140 pounds at the time. Right. Um, so basically, yeah, I was on Joel. I was Joel Hedrick. So right. yeah. I, I could get good starts and uh, whatnot. But there was, you know, still early. I didn't know how to set up a bike. I mean, I still had people. Everybody was trying to help me. I just didn't know to I didn't know how to tell them what to do or how to yeah. make things better. I didn't know anything. Um, but I mean, we grew, we definitely, uh, we were doing pretty good. Actually, somebody, uh, put a, he was either a snap up the other day. Cause they were watching, oh man, I forget what movie came out that year in 06. 
Was that uh, natural born killers? Natural yeah, that's born it. killers. Yeah. Yeah. He put something. It was actually at Etch County there. And I remember this clip because you yeah. got a good hole shot there. Yeah. I was frigging second out of the hole and yep. right behind the tally. And I was like, huh, that's the old frigging 270 there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I had good starts and whatnot. And uh, yeah, I just never, I never could seal the deal. Um, still young with training, still young with everything. Um, How old are you at that point, Josh? I was only maybe 20. Okay. Okay. Maybe. I, yeah, I was like, even thinking started, possibly, possibly even younger than that a little bit. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, my first race, uh, 04, so I was 17. Okay. Um, so, yeah, just under 20. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I was just, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was just didn't know anything. That was, that was the biggest problem. Could well, go fast, could twist the throttle, didn't know anything. Yeah, I mean, you didn't get a bunch of amateur years to kind of figure out the no, racecraft, right? Yeah. yeah, so you're doing it at the top level against the baddest dudes that there are and a stacked freaking class. Right. I mean, there were so many pros back then and qualifiers and and back then, like you had to like race motos too, right? If you weren't if you weren't like at the top of the points or, or top of time qualifying or whatever you guys were doing at the yeah. time. I, I just remember I there being, I remember that year specifically, there being like qualifiers into those races. So every once in a while, like a good guy, you know, one you included would be in one of those qualifying races. Uh-huh. And yeah, uh, it was like top five or something were automatically into the qualifier, but then it, it was crazy. Cause it, yeah, I mean, we used to practice on Friday you do something on Saturday. We must have had some sort of race on Saturday and then race on Sunday. Whatever it was, it was a bunch of riding and there was a bunch of really good guys. So, um, yeah, no, it was, it was a lot. Um, that was crazy. The only thing I just remember about that year is every time I had moments of glory, somehow me and Dustin Wimber ended up together and I'd end up on the ground <laughs> every freaking time. Um, okay. so that's kind of, uh, not that I I don't have anything against Dustin, but in yeah. my beginning years, it was like, God damn it! Every time something happens, well, whether whether it was something stupid, uh, I remember uh, what was the track Daniel Boone, where um, that was a big event. Um, but I got landed on by somebody there, so that would have been a WPSA race uh but yeah, yeah that's yeah yep okay. yeah so i but i and i even remember i remember this from something i read somewhere sometime or something but you your rookie year you're like everything about my rookie year um every run in i had it seemed like it was dustin wimmer so i remember uh-huh. i remember this so we'll pick uh-huh. up on that we'll pick up on that later but uh so yeah up and down kind of rookie year and uh you know you had flashes but you're still learning but I mean, everything obviously changes for year two, right? So 2007, like, might have been the peak of ATV motocross as a whole. Obviously, you know, we know the WPSA deal and um, ESPN's, you know, TV package with that and a slew of factory rides everywhere. And you were right where you needed to be at the right time. You land a spot on the new Monster Energy Pro Circuit Kawasaki team for 07. So how did that all come about? Honestly... It was just uh, Jimmy White was at Loretta's, and I haven't had no idea who Jimmy White was. Okay. Um, but 
I don't even remember how I finished at Loretta's in 06, but I did something that he liked. And it just and, fell into place. Yeah, he contacted me. They and Kawasaki said, "You interested in riding for us?" Um, yeah, because <laughs> if honestly, if they didn't call me again, that probably would have been the end of my career, anyways. Really? Yeah, because it was just I pretty much me and my dad spent a shitload of money that year, um, even with K and K's help and everything, and. Being in the pro class, trying to do it as a privateer, I don't understand how anybody could ever fathom it because, especially when we were running two series, you know, WPSA and nationals, it was like uh, how 20, many? Like and, 20 races, literally. Yeah, and yeah. any ATV. So, I mean, that's, that's why. It was just completely overwhelming. And me and my dad started button heads, and it was just it was too much. Um, so it was like it, it all worked out perfect. Okay. Um, so what is yeah. it like? What is it like to get a phone call? um and be offered a factory ride i mean i can't even can't even imagine that i wish i remembered it (laughs) i uh, i i just i can't even and maybe it was hard to at the time because kawasaki didn't have an effort for you to be like kind of in your mind at how cool it might be but man that like i can't imagine what that phone call must be like to say like hey we're gonna field a team we're gonna have this bike and the semi and all this stuff and uh i mean like those bikes were sick i mean it just turned out to be a really cool deal no it was it was awesome i mean i I think at the time nobody even really knew much about the new kawasaki i don't think so either i don't think after 2006 i don't think anybody knew anything yet no because it was still uh when i signed the contracts um the bike was still in a pre-production stage it wasn't even a a release bike yet um because i i remember driving out to california in shit it must have been december i guess and riding the bike still like putting it through endurance testing and whatnot just so they could actually be able to sell it and say you know this is sure bike for sale okay Um, so, so were yeah. you were you leery at all about like what kind of bike they're gonna put together for me or or where was your mind with that? I was still kind of naive, didn't really know, didn't okay. really care. Young, okay. dumb, just excited to race a photo. That's all yeah. about all I care about. Okay, okay, yeah. So um so yeah, the, I mean in in you know, I obviously asked people to kind of send in some questions, right, for for our interview here and like so many of them were about the Kawasaki. I mean, people are, are like enamored with that Kawasaki. So, you know, you showed brilliance, some, some flashes of brilliance in your first two seasons, you know, you won some motos, you got podiums, you were a consistent top five guy, obviously. I'm sure you're learning things as you go there about setup and, and just racecraft and everything else. So, um, you know, talk about those first couple years and kind of like what that quad was like, because I think they handled well, right? But I don't know how good the motor package maybe was. You'll know better than I, but I, like I said, it was a it was a sick looking program and it seemed like um, we could hold off on talking about that last year for a second. But things got figured out um yeah. you know kind of I going mean, into 2009 i knew I, I mean i picked up a whole lot when i was riding for mike walsh um and i learned some more throughout riding that honda and when i came on with cowie and we were going to run roll design 
and Elka. I knew nothing about role design, but I knew after riding a little bit of the Elkas that I wasn't a fan. Okay. Um, I mean, they were. At the time, they were like, you were running like the factories, right? With those big, big old yeah, knobs on them. huge yeah. knobs. And I mean, it was the time, I mean, El Elka was pouring money into quad racing and coming out with all kinds of new shit. And I don't think people understood any of it yet. So that might've been half of the problem. Sure. But basically about, by the end of that first season, I said, listen, this is what we have to do to win races. Like we, we have to put Walsh components on this bike. We need to be on Fox and we need to uh, lower the subframes. We need to do this. We need to do that. And long and long short of it, uh, you get paid to ride the bike, ride the fucking bike. Okay. Okay. That's what I'll do. Won't put my input anymore, but um, it, we, it was a good crew. That's, that's probably what made it um, so good along the way is we all got along and we all had a desire to win. Um, that motor program the first year was a joke, unfortunately. Okay. Um, I was, don't that a, was that a pro circuit deal? Was pro yeah, circuit doing the motors too? They did it the first year, yeah. Um, okay. And that you know, it was a new thing for them because pro circuit never did any four wheeler motors. So he goes and gives us basically what he gives was making for the bike guys, you know, like, Oh, this, this should be enough. And I remember me and Luberg leaving the starting line in California, the first race. And it was like, we were in reverse and everybody else was in first. Year. And it was like, Oh Christ, this oh, is gosh. bad. Like we were, the motors were so slow and immediately we went back to the drawing board and got better, got better. And I mean, that was something that we worked on for three years was trying to get those bikes faster, faster, faster. And then finally we got them fast enough, but then it was like, okay, well now we got to try to keep them from blowing up and keep them cool. Um, that was the biggest problem was trying to keep those things cool. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunately we melted a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, I remember that whole deal. But um, yeah, I mean, those first two years, like you guys worked out all the bugs, you seemed to, like I said, you were still successful along the way. Like there were still obviously flashes of that this bike is a good enough bike to, to oh, win yeah. races. Like obviously nobody at this point was questioning your riding ability. Um, and Chad even said it too. Chad, when we had him on, talked about how good that bike was and how good the whole crew of guys was, how uh, willing you guys were to work and how hungry you all were. So by 2009, you and Chad are both winning on the Kawasaki. Um, you know, but just as the program seemed to be ready to peak, Kawasaki pulls the plug. And, you know, you had that like that had to be a killer for you because, you know, you were their kind of their first big name rider that they had. You were there from the very start of their efforts, even though they didn't last that long. So um, everything's kind of finally falling into place. And then it's just over just like that. Yeah, it sucked. Um it was really unfortunate because I think uh, if we would have continued into 2010, we probably would have won the championship on the Kawasaki or been right there in the fight. Um, you know, Chad was right there in the fight in 09, but hey, it happens. Um, sometimes things don't go right. Um, I 2009 for me was a 
just a, not a good year. Um, I had good races, but I had races that were just really, really bad too. Um, but Hey, it's, it happens. Yeah. I knew that, um, I knew that you had thought that you were going to win on that thing if it was going to come back for 2010. And it uh. was, it, and I knew how good that program was after listening to Chad too, because he said he would have loved to stay on that thing and would have loved to keep your group of guys together because he liked it so much. And he was so, uh, he knew yeah, it was going to I mean, be successful, you know? Yeah, the whole crew wanted to win, uh, you know, right from the truck driver to the team manager to every mechanic down to the riders. We all wanted to win. That's it was one focus goal. And I mean, every every team, that's one focus goal. But I mean, it was a it was a drive for three years. And, uh, you know, those are some of my best friends now. Um, I still am in contact with those guys, you know, try to be in contact with them as much as possible. Um, yeah. I was actually supposed to fly to Arizona for uh party for jimmy but i think that's not gonna happen right now oh because yeah yeah that makes <laughs> sense yeah yeah i don't i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't suggest you get on an airplane to begin with right now probably but uh not gonna, not gonna. no but uh yeah that was a shame um because like you said that you kind of finally all you know you've worked all the bugs out of that thing you got the components that you want on it um because i and i believe if i remember correctly you won loretta's yep. in 09 which would mm-hmm. have been the last race for Kawasaki. And you had won a race just a few races prior, too. So, I mean, yep. you go out on a high with Kawasaki, oh, yeah. and then it's just over. So, so did you know that it was over then, or, or, or how did that work out? No, we had no idea. Really? That's just, even worse. Yeah. yeah. No, that just, it just stopped. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I dealt with that a couple of times. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Kawasaki closes their doors and you find your way to Suzuki. Um, so, I mean, tell my listeners about that because did, was it like clear right away? That's where you knew you wanted to be or were, did you have options? I mean, I mean, nah, I, mean I, I, I didn't really have, uh, much for options uh there wasn't a ton of options at the time right like it was suzuki and that was all that was left yeah i mean that wasn't really uh too much of an option i don't even i really wish i could remember how all these things came about but i know it was a deal that um i believe they either offered doug no money or offered him less money or something he wasn't gonna do it yeah i'm like dude i'm I don't care. I'll do it. Yeah. So, so Doug told us that, uh, he would have, he wanted to come back, but it was at, you know, whatever the price was, but it wasn't, he didn't think it was astronomical, especially based on the years prior on the money Uh that he got. But he said, uh, he had no chance because you were willing to do it for, for little. And, uh, he said, so that, that ended my career. So, um, so you were basically racing for win bonuses, right? That's how. Yeah, that's, that's it. How, I the only thing I got, they gave me. I don't know. I think it was like a fifteen hundred dollar per diem per race for travel expenses, and yep. then on that other than that, it was win bonuses. But you knew you so, were going to win. I knew I was going to win. Yeah. Um, you know, the bike went. The bike won for the two previous seasons. So yep. if the four wheeler won, there's absolutely no reason why I can't get on it and win. And that was, I mean, I was at my 
probably peak of my mental fitness, sure. peak of my physical fitness, and probably a little bit pissed off that Kawasaki folded their doors. So I was like, you know what, whatever, I, however I got to do it, I'll do it. Yeah, that's the that's the the vibe that I got from you is that you're a little pissed off, and uh, you were like so focused and zoned in, and like it there was no doubt that you were gonna win that thing. That's how it looked from the outside. Um, and you know, obviously, it worked out. You kind of bet on yourself. You you have a, a deal that's win bonus and incentive based, and you maximized on it by, you know, you won half the race, over half the races. You podiumed every race, but the last one when you were just in championship cruise mode. Um, so talk about that season. I mean, I can't imagine because you've been through some shit at this point. I can't yeah. imagine how good that felt to kind of achieve that goal um, that you've been working hard for and kind of going through the rigors of you know doing it by yourself being on a factory team getting dropped now you finally make it happen that had to be surreal yeah no it was it was a long season um i i drove to uh i bought a bulldozer the year before and i ended up buying a place in florida and i literally drove down to florida in the beginning of or maybe it was towards the end of December. I don't even know when it was, but basically bulldozed a track through the friggin' woods and around my house and just started riding and had a couple guys come down. I rented some more equipment. We dug down, we found clay, we capped the whole track with clay and Wimmer wouldn't ride the track. We even came there, said I was an idiot. Um, Cause it was too sketchy or what? Yeah. Just, I mean, it was a super cross track through the woods. Okay. I remember the <laughs> stories about this. I don't know if it was DeNoble telling me or somebody Denoble, that. Yeah. I mean, DeNoble's the only guy that used to ride it. Um, <laughs> but yeah. It was, had, to, uh, had to find a couple dudes crazy enough like you to ride it. That's what you're yeah, saying. No, yeah. It was, it was nuts. Um, but I literally just sat there and that was after I did some testing in California and whatnot. And I stayed there and I did two 35 minute motos a day. I'd run twice a day, do friggin' bunch of push-ups, bunch of shit-ups, pull-ups, whatever, just yep. basically body workouts. And I mean, every single day until the season started. And then we went to, what was that? Pell City was the first round. Yep. And I got the nastiest arm pump. And I'm like, man, I don't understand how this is possible like i am in shape but maybe it's just nerves i don't know and then i mean i still podiumed i got second and okay. but i was i wasn't happy with it and we went to kentucky after that and in practice i got arm pump and i'm like literally i came back to the tent i'm like there's something wrong with this bike it's not me i said i literally there was a two-week break and like i killed myself for two weeks absolutely went nuts and I said, there's no way that I should be getting arm pump right now. And it ended up being some sort of bearing in the bottom of the steering stem that once it started getting hot, it started to season up. I mean, got it tight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Changed that bearing. And uh, yeah, that was the, that, the rest is history. There's but. nothing, there's nothing worse than when you're like, your practice bike is perfect. You feel like a million bucks and then you get on your race bike and it's like, there's something wrong and then nobody like believes you. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah it's, it's not in my head like I know I just I literally just went back to the woods of Florida and destroyed my body for the last two weeks like and it's yeah. not me it's not me this time it might have been the first time but it's not me this time right 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 and, uh, yeah then we ended up won that round and uh yeah then we just kept hammering um, that, that's kind of when you went on a tear there um yeah. compare the Suzuki to the Kawasaki was it that much better or different or was it pretty close i mean they were close um and i'm and i'm I'm asking this because we got a bunch of questions about it so uh, you know it's it's hard to pick them apart they're just they're two different bikes like the cowie you had to build it so you sat down in it like we had to lower the subframe cut the seat uh change the rear shock like a ton so you could just keep the bike more planted in the in the ass end where the suzuki just i mean you could just sit on top of that thing and it was just always on the ground you didn't have to work it that much um and yeah it's it's hard to say the real difference um power wise it wasn't the fast i mean it was probably it was just smooth it was consistent smooth it was predictable um, I mean, everything about it was just, uh, awesome. Yeah. So I knew that you had really high expectations if you would have went back for 2010 on the Kawasaki. Um, so I knew that that bike was good. What the listener maybe didn't know was what I knew about how good that Kawasaki was just from reading up and research and listening to old interviews of yours and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that they wanted to, wanted to hear uh the differences or whatever but but yeah i mean obviously different bikes um but you kind of both had them figured out i mean the suzuki was figured out obviously like you're talking about and you guys did a bunch of work to get the kawasaki to where it was probably pretty close to where the suzuki was yeah i mean they were definitely very comparable i think the biggest downfall with the kawasaki was the aluminum frame it was so rigid, like it yeah. tightened the it tightened the bike up immensely. And people were like, "Well, how how could it tighten the bike up? I mean, it's a frame; like it's not just going to move." But I honestly, I don't know. But but that's the, a characteristic of the aluminum frame in general, because you see that right. in, in in dirt bikes too. For the right. listeners, um, it just it it tightens. You get you it get makes f- you that much harder to figure out the suspension. You get a bunch of feedback from a steel frame that you don't get like in a good way, you know, a right. feel for the ground or whatever right. that you right. don't get from an aluminum frame. So I guess I never thought of that. So um, yeah. glad you mentioned that. The other thing I was going to mention before um, or ask you before was, so you're hammering up motos, you're hammering on your body. What is your practice uh, like maintenance regiment like at that point? Are you, are you your own practice bike mechanic? Yeah. 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 Cause I, yeah, I, I, I drove to Florida. I had a buddy with me, Ryan Angicola, drove down there with me. Um, and then I had another friend from home. He came down with my dad and the other guys that helped me rebuild the track and dig for clay and whatnot. Um, me and him started button heads after a while. I told him to go home, <laughs> sent him back to Connecticut. Okay. And then... Uh, basically i was down there by myself for the most part so um a good 30 minutes from town um 
My neighbor's about 85. She likes the noise, but okay, well, that's really good. not going to be any good. Right. And I'd text my mom and say, uh, I'm going riding. If I don't text you back in 40 minutes, uh, I don't know, call somebody. <laughs> and I do that twice a day. But I mean, I, the, yeah, when you, I, I think I was riding six days a week and ah uh, man. Uh, so six days a week, you're throwing at least an hour, hour and 20 minutes on the quad a day. I think yeah. I was changing a motor. I think I was changing a motor pretty much every week. Well, that's, I guess what I was getting at is, is I know how hard you're riding the thing. Yeah. Cause um, it's not like I'm going out and baby and I'm, I'm race pace and I, I was riding with a lap timer and it's like, you look down and every lap you're trying to beat that and trying to beat that. And you're like, how can you physically keep doing this every day? But you figure out something every single day. Right. And yeah, I mean, I, uh, I was terrible on third gear on that bike for some reason. Um, and that was the only reason I had to change it is because third gear would go out again. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I heard stories too of, of you and your lap timer and just hammering stuff out again. I don't know if it came from DeNoble or who it came from at the time, but yeah, I just, I heard, uh, heard stories and that was my question. That's why I asked is cause I know how hard you're training. Didn't know how much time you were getting out of those bikes. So was Suzuki good about always having, you know, a motor for you to plug in and yeah, no, it was, it was pretty much just on rotation. We were just sending one back and forth. Um, awesome always make sure that I tried to have one. And, um, yeah, it was, there was a lot, but I didn't, you know, like I said, I was at my peak mental fitness. So I knew what I needed to accomplish. I knew what I wanted to accomplish. And, you know, some people need a trainer they need somebody to tell them what to do, what to eat, what, to, and I was all that in myself. Like I yeah. looked at myself in the mirror at the end of every day and I was like, did you do enough today? And if I didn't, I'd go do something else. Like right. you, if you can't look at yourself at the end of the day and say, you know what? I gave it my all again today. We're good. Then, you know, that's just me. Yeah. I'm strong. Right. I, that's one of the things that I always thought was so honorable about you is like, you were just that one man band that you were the whole package. So um, yeah, you're definitely hitting the nail on the head. We'll get right back to the show, but now, a quick word from our sponsors. And now, please stand up and make some noise for our title sponsor, CST Tires. CST Tires and their Pulse MXR Tire have completely overtaken the ATV market. Used by Thomas Brown to clinch a third straight Quad Cross of Nations title, by Nick Janusa as he dominated the Montreal Supercross, and myself, Cody Jansen, as I rode my Pulse MXR fronts and white label soft compound rears to a 2019 national championship in the Junior 25 Plus class. The Pulse MXR tire, available in soft and standard compounds, offers the highest level of traction, most predictable cornering, and superior wear characteristics than the competition. Join the takeover or prepare to be beat by someone who did. CST Tires, where passion meets the ground. Check them out at csttires.com today. Anybody that I've gotten to try them, I've heard nothing but positive things back. We're proud to be Team Blue Crew here at the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. Why choose Yamaha? Look no further than Chad Wienan's six championships in the past eight seasons aboard his Yamaha YFZ450R. Not to mention Yamaha is the leading OEM supporter of ATV racing, and their support of this podcast proves it. 
For the 2020 ATV MX season, Yamaha's Blue Crew Racer Support Program will offer payout and prize opportunities, including the chance to win a brand new YFZ 450R. For more information, head to YamahaOutdoors.com and follow them on social media at Yamaha Outdoors today. For over 150 years, Valvoline has led the charge by being dedicated to constant improvement and innovation across all disciplines of racing. Valvoline has sponsored some of the greatest names in motorsports, and for the better part of a decade, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of the historically great Team Valvoline. From my commuting vehicles to small engines, race quads, and everything in between, I trust nothing but Valvoline in all of my equipment. I've experienced increased function and durability, as well as longer life expectancy thanks to Valvoline's array of products and lubricants. Since 1866, Valvoline has been focused on bettering your experience, whether on road, on track, or anywhere in between. Upgrade to Valvoline today and check them out at Valvoline.com. SSI decals is a name that is synonymous with ATV racing and synonymous with success. An offshoot of their parent company that was established in 1947, SSI first took shape from owner Ian Harris's passion for ATVs. After making number plates and decals for riders like Chad Whedon, the company quickly took off. Today, you couldn't imagine ATV motocross without SSI decals. The graphics maker now supports all the top teams at ATV motocross, as well as GNCC, Work Series, Pro Motocross and Supercross, Canadian Pro Motocross, Short Course Off-Road Trucks, UTVs, Snowcross, and oh yeah, six-time NHRA World Champion Clay Milliken. No project is too big or too small for SSI decals, making your identity stick with championship-level graphics, SSI decals. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is brought to you in part by DID Racing Chain and their 520 ATV2 chain. This patented X-ring chain boasts a steel alloy construction for reduced weight, increased strength, and a longer chain life, making it the optimal ATV racing chain. Pick up an ATV2 chain today at your local dealer or wherever DID chains are sold. Wherever you go, go with DID. We're pumped to bring on new partner, Namira Technologies. Since 2001, Namira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side market, covering more applications than anyone else in the industry. Namira's advanced piston technology uses a NASA-exclusive aluminum alloy that helps to reduce expansion rates, allows for tighter tolerances, and leads to higher overall engine performance for your machine. For more information about Namira's wide offerings of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry-leading top-end repair kits, visit your local dealer or online at www.namira.com. Namira Technologies, pistons with an attitude. We're proud to announce our partnership with Avocado Green Mattresses. We all know that sleep and rest are an important part of any athlete's routine. Avocado's line of natural mattresses and pillows provide exactly the support you need to ensure you perform at your best while you're doing the best for the planet. The Avocado mattress offers zone back support with an internal support unit, meaning whether you're recovering from a hard day of riding or relaxing on a Sunday morning, you will be experiencing next level comfort. You can rest in peace knowing the components in your mattress and pillows are non-toxic, natural, and sustainably sourced. And getting your Avocado Green mattress could not be any easier. They offer a 100-night sleep trial, free shipping, free return pickup, and a 25-year warranty. And if that wasn't enough, rest assured knowing that they have a 5-star rating by verified customers, including some of our Digging Deep staff. Step up your sleep game by visiting avocadomattress.com. We are proud to announce our newest show sponsor, Gripped Gloves. Gripped is an ATV rider-owned and operated brand with the rider in mind and the goal of keeping costs affordable. 
The Michigan-based family operation recognizes riders' desire to showcase their identity. Owner David Payne's love for eccentric colorways and crazy patterns shows in his product, something not often found in the work of big manufacturers. Here to push stereotypes and limitations, Grip's drive is to produce a glove with cool colors and designs that won't break the bank. With comfort and quality as key motivators, this family affair is constantly working on the next innovative and improved glove. Get a grip on life, join the Gripped movement because no one wants a bland glove. Check them out today at grippedgloves.com. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP10 to save at checkout. That's G-R-I-P-T gloves.com. We are also pleased to announce our partnership with Bronco ATV and UTV Components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, all the way down to suspension parts and bearing kits, Bronco is your hard parts source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world, visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. We are also supported in part by Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant. The best power sports coolant on the market, Evans prevents overheating and boil over so you never have to worry about harming your engine or having a premature end to your ride due to overheating no matter what the condition. Designed for use in ATVs, UTVs, motorcycles, snowmobiles and more, use what the pros use. Upgrade to Evans today. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is also sponsored by DP Brakes. A longtime supporter of ATV racing and the world leader in centered brake technology, DP has been dominating the ATV world for decades by supporting the best four-wheeled racers on the planet. 2020 is no different with an impressive lineup including AMA ATV Pro Class champion Joel Hetrick and his Phoenix Racing Honda teammates. Myself, Cody Jansen, and my 2019 Junior 25 Plus National Championship, Baldwin Motorsports' Nick Janusa, Wesley Wolf, Dylan Tremellen and his 940 racing team, Troy Hill, and more in ATV Motocross. In GNCC Racing, DP has 16 of the top 17 pros heading into 2020. This includes the champ Walker Fowler, Bryson Neal, Chris Borich, Cole Richardson, Jared McClure, Adam McGill, and more. These riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP brakes have to offer, products that ultimately help place them on the top step of the podium. Available at www.dp-brakes.com, purchase at your local dealer, or even message the show for their contact info today. What are you waiting for? Join the best ATV riders on the planet on DP Brakes. Forworks Carbon's innovative lightweight products include top-notch seat covers, carbon fiber and plastic hoods, tank covers, exhaust shields, shock guards, and much more. Whether you have an ATV, UTV, or snowmobile, Forworks has goodies that'll make you salivate. I trust Forworks for increased function and a sexier look. Forworks Carbon, always working hard to bring high-quality, innovative parts to the market. Check them out today. Now back to the show. So you you win the championship, right? Um, but by becoming the champ, you knock off your teammate, the two-time defending champion, Dustin Wimmer. So, you know, what was that dynamic like? Because not only did you knock him off as the fastest ATV rider in the world, you also kind of had a history from the past. So was that dynamic like a, like a good one? Like, were you friends or, or how, how was that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, we were friendly. Um, the thing that probably screwed him the most was his trainer there. Uh, shit, what was his name? Doc Rice, maybe? Something, yeah. 
yeah, that guy shooting his mouth off in the beginning of the season uh, to some video saying um, he can't beat us or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Natalia won't beat us. Weena doesn't <laughs> beat us. Creamer doesn't beat us. <laughs> yeah, and I remember. I, I li- literally, I'd play that before every moto just to piss him off and get me a little bit more pumped up. Like, <laughs> that guy screwed you right from the get-go. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, I, and I, I told Dustin in a pre-season, before I even rode the bike, I told him I was going to take it. And he laughed at me. But I, don't, I just, I knew I was going to do that year. I, don't, I, I didn't, I wasn't going to stop until I did it. <laughs> Dustin was always like good to us, you know, and he came on the show and he was cool. He was always cool to me personally, but you mentally broke him. That's what it looked like to me. No, and that's exactly what I did. And, you know, I, you can go back and watch certain you videos. Can watch, or, you can watch the videos and that's where it's the clearest that yeah, and he's, you beat He's like, beat I don't know what to say. I just can't, I can't win. Like, there's nothing wrong with the bike. I just can't do it. Yeah. And yeah, that's basically, yeah, mentally broken. <laughs> that's the way it looked. And it takes a lot to do that uh, two-time defending champion in, in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had to be even worse that you were doing it on the same machine under the same tent to him. It was probably that much cooler for you. Right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I, I changed a whole lot more that year. I wasn't the prick that I was when I was on the Kawasaki. I wasn't quite as hot-headed. And I tried to be a little bit more humble that year. And uh, what do you say? Maybe a little bit more professional, I guess. Because that team, they were great guys. And I still am in touch with all those guys. But it was a a totally different atmosphere. Like Kawasaki, I'm not going to say we were party animals, but we liked to have a good time. We were loud. We listened to Black Label Society and Metallica and friggin' had music playing all the time. Where uh, Suzuki, it it was all business. Looked a little more, yeah. Looked a little more buttoned up over there, and you're also coming into uh, the dynamic is probably different because at Kawasaki, I mean, obviously you have all those personalities, but at Suzuki you're coming into an entity that was already established and just won two championships. So you kind of gotta like yourself. Yeah, I gotta kind of. Yeah, I got to kind of come in as a new person and be not, you know, don't be myself, kind of play the part. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you, so you, uh, I was curious to ask about the, the Dustin thing there. And I knew, I knew it wasn't like hostile or anything like that, but uh, yeah. was curious to know what the, what the dynamic was like. So um, you win the championship and then, you know, I, I hate to even bring this up because two years in a row, you seem to get the rug ripped out from under you. Um, your championship with Suzuki was Suzuki's last year of, of ATV racing. So when you got that title, um, I asked you this about Kawasaki, but when you got that title, did you know it was over at that time or? Um, we knew things weren't good. Um, and we kind of got played. Um, we had to fly out. I believe we had to fly to Vegas and we had to do this and we had to do that. If you guys want to have a team again, we got to make efforts and kind of made it not seem like it was our fault that it was going to shut down, but like we had to try to do something. And I, I actually think I changed flights to go cause I was going to Africa that year and I changed flights to go to Africa. I had to go to Vegas first and, um, yeah. And then basically it was all like, they didn't even, there was just, after that, it was nothing. Yeah, we're not racing. Sorry. Man, what a what a bummer. Because, again, I mean, you're, never at the got, peak. you're at the peak never, of yourself. 
yeah, the thing that sucked is I never got to back it up. You know, and, I went to one race the following year at uh, Pell City and rode a, a Honda that was set up for freaking works racing and tried to race motocross, and I looked like a clown on it. Um, running the number but, you one. Know, yeah, yeah the one time one. that I ran number one, but, you know, I felt like an idiot anyways. Um, how does the – go ahead. If I could have got, you know, if I could have backed up uh, that championship year on the Suzuki, who knows how many more championships I could have won on that bike. I could still be winning them. Who knows? Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, how does the defending champion not get not get a ride of any kind or let alone uh, to be able to back it up? I mean, that was a killer. Obviously, at that time, like, there's not rides. There wasn't really any. Uh, yeah, I mean, everything at that point was dropping. That's, that's what sucked. Um, the only one that was still in it was uh, like the MotorWorks Can-Am thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. The year that would have been the year that Natalie wanted on that quad. But um, yeah, I mean, for the listeners, like how this works is I'm assuming how this worked is no title sponsor was helping Suzuki at this point. That's what they were trying to do and they didn't have a title sponsor. So that's when the deal kind of fizzled out. I'm assuming. Yeah, I don't even think it was that. I think it was more along the lines of whatever they did to get that bike to pass something. So it was okay. A, yep. a bike to be able to purchase. Somehow something was misconstrued as far as emissions or uh, who knows. Homologized or whatever that, yeah. Yeah, that, that it wasn't that. Suzuki lost Makita, they lost Rockstar, something like that. It was you physically couldn't make that machine anymore. And if you can't, you know, something along those lines, something, something, I don't know. That, no, of course, no, that makes even way more sense because if you can't sell the machine, right. you're not going to field a team to promote the machine. So, right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So obviously, yeah. super big bummer there. Um, yeah, like you said, in 2011, you show up at the first race, you race on a quad not set up is for works racing is what it was set up for. So um, you obviously didn't get to didn't get to kind of defend it. You didn't even get to kind of showcase your ability to even ride the number one and enjoy that. I mean, that that obviously sucks. So in 2011, you know, you kind of go on a hiatus at this point. Um, you know, you're gone from the nationals for basically a season and a half. So it's just crazy how it all worked out. But did, were you racing any ATV at that time or? Yeah, I, I tried to go out West and, um, basically Corey Ellis had hooked me up with some dude and Corey was kind of the team manager for this team out West that we were going to do works racing. And, uh, it probably would have been pretty cool. And, uh, you know, we were trying to be up front with the guy that was going to do the run the whole show. And uh, this is what it's going to cost you. Like Corey knows, I know, like, we know what this shit's going to cost. And yep. he was fine with it. And then finally once the bill started piling in, he's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I didn't sign up for this. And I was like, well, yeah, you did. Um, we got to sign contracts, so um, no hard feelings. But I'm gonna take these bikes and I'm gonna head back to the East Coast. We'll see you later. Right. Um, and I, you know, I was never really a fan of the Honda. Anyways, I never got one to work that good. So okay. I ended up selling those Hondas and got help from the MotorWorks team. Um, he kind of gave me a couple bikes to use the Can-Ams and um, basically ran my own show that year with the couple of bikes that he gave me. 
Okay. Um, and he was help. He was actually doing the motors and stuff for me. So, um, man, just raced in New England there in 2011. Pissed yeah. everyone off. Um, and because pissed everybody off because you're beating up on them or what? Yeah, I mean it wasn't much yeah. of. Uh, it wasn't much. <laughs> okay. It yeah. Was, yeah, it was more just show up, have fun. Um, well, of course. Yeah, I mean you're you're at you're uh, the defending champion you know, AMA yeah. pro. So, I mean, yeah. to go back and race locals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, actually I'm wrong. I'm a year, I'm off a year. No, I don't think so. That was I'm off a year. Okay. Yeah. Because 11 is when Wimmer raced in, uh, NEA TV. Okay. Oh, so it was 2012, the year that you raced it and then you showed up at Unadilla. Yeah. So 11, I came back, started racing NEA TV on the K&M. But Wimmer okay. was racing NEATV on the Suzuki, yep. and we battled like a bastard because it was only me, him, and Cody Miller. So it was basically three guys in the pro class. And, and you're all, all, ba all bad dudes. Yeah, and we were just beating the hell out of each other all year. I remember and this. And yep. I ended was uh, basically it was the last round. I was going to win the championship. And I had just done Montreal Supercross. And... Uh, you always put a new chain on your bike for the last round. Yeah. And I didn't. Do. And I ended up snapping a chain out front, gonna win the freaking championship, and I broke a chain. Oh, no. Uh, and I mean, yeah, luckily it wasn't a national championship, but still, even for a New England championship with all the endorsements that I was gonna, I think it ended up being like an $11,000 chain. I'm sure it was. I was so, just gonna say, that, you're getting good bonus money for this. Yeah. So that kind of sucked. Um, Okay, so that was 2011. Then yeah, 2012, then, you do the same thing, right? You're racing NEA TV, but, but then, no Wimmer. No, okay, right. But okay. no Wimmer. So then it's just me sitting there, and I'm like, okay, well, gotcha. Now, gotcha. now this isn't really that fun anymore. But I was riding for BCS at the time. Yep. Uh, which was a new relationship. He kind of didn't like me from the year before because, uh, who knows? Me and Jay used to race against each other and whatever. But now, you know, I mean, we we became pretty good friends. Uh, it's actually been a while since we hung out, but. One of these days we got to get golfing, but, um, yeah, I ended up sparking a relationship with him and then, uh, can and wanted us to go do a couple nationals. So we went and did a couple nationals. Yeah. So you, yeah, that leads me right up to 2012 when you show up at Unadilla and, um, so yeah, it's been like nearly two years that you've been away, but you left as the defending champion. And uh, you show up on the BCS Can-Am and you win the first moto and that's, Honestly, as a fan, that's like one of my favorite racing memories because just even like for you, like I tried to put myself in your shoes, how obviously you probably felt somewhat disrespected that, you know, you win the championship, you don't give it, get a chance to come back and defend it or anything. And uh, so you show up and you win the first moto after everybody's been racing for eight rounds or whatever. And yeah. uh, I, I just remember like, the whole place it was like you were in a dome almost because everybody was cheering for you yeah no i uh i had in 2012 for any atv i was basically i was working construction um and i'd ride here and there but basically i was a weekend warrior i'd just go to the races and ride and then okay. before unadilla i was like all right well i think i need to give myself like a month of hard training so, you know, started running and doing motos and trying to get in shape and 
yeah, total guess, you know, am I ready to go back for these guys? I don't know. We'll see. And yeah, when that friggin' gate dropped and we went around the first corner, it was like, okay, this is nice. This is, this will work. And yeah, that was, that was pretty badass. It felt good. That's for sure. Gosh. Again, I like, cause I mean, you don't just show up and win a pro race, you know, or win a pro moto. I mean, obviously for you, it's different cause you had won the championship or whatever, like years previous, but still like for somebody people don't do people don't do that. Like it doesn't happen. So for you to do, that was crazy. You ended up second overall that day. And, uh, but that sparked your full-time, you know, kind of return to ATV national racing with, with BCS Can-Am. And and that's a return that lasted two plus more seasons through the 2014 season. And uh, you know, it, it was obviously successful. It seemed you won some motos, you had a handful of podiums and, uh, you know, it was great to obviously have you back at the races. I'm sure it was great for you, but it was also probably good to kind of, I don't know if you knew it was the end, but you kind of got to end it on your own terms instead of just getting it ripped out from under you. Yeah. Um, almost to me. Cause it was, you know, I'm, I'm on a, I mean, I'd been on the Can-Am for two seasons, but not, I mean, I, I guess it was kind of the same bike, but it's always different, especially if you change teams on something. Yep. So, yep. you know, it was like almost like I was starting again with Kawasaki. So, you know, we're trying to make this bike better. We're trying to figure it out. And it was just like, it's constantly, constantly work. Um, and I mean, we, we got the machine working really good. Uh, we changed a whole lot of things. Jay's uh, a very smart dude. We ended up, you know, making certain parts that just we had and um yeah i mean it all worked out pretty nice um it seemed like they treated you really well that's how yeah, it I mean, from they the were outside. they were gonna do whatever i asked them to do and i mean I, that's all you can ask for somebody um and you know they were they were great guys um but it was just one of those things where i was getting older um i i've worked my whole life anyways um so i know how to make money working um it doesn't it doesn't bother me working um and it got into the back of my head you start second guessing things and that's when i was like it's it's time like you worried about thomas brown behind you because he's riding like a jackass and takes you both out in one corner because um, uh, I'm stuck behind Weenan who's stuck behind the tally, but I got nowhere I can go. But Thomas is trying to thread the needle to get by me to go sit behind them. And it's like, all right, I don't want to deal with this shit anymore because yeah. I want to, I don't want to anymore. That's it. So that was that. Um, and that's when I knew I just had to, I had to call it quits. Um, not that I don't like racing or I don't like riding, but, I was ready to move on. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. different for everybody how they end it or how they know it's the end or if they get a choice to end or whatever. Like everybody's part of their story is different there. So I, I'm always intrigued to hear how that went. Was it tough for you? Cause it's different than some guys because you had always been working. So yeah. just, you just removed the racing part of your life. Um, right. Some I mean, other people, like really struggle to find an identity with for themselves after they take the racing away. So how tough was it? Well, that's, that's the thing. And I, I think about it for all these guys that are still, you know, racing, but not, and, uh, you know, I, 
I, I do tile work now, as everybody knows, but yep. I work my ass off now. Like every, everybody thought racing was hard. Mm, go, go get a normal, go run your own business. Uh, it's a whole different freaking ball game. Um, racing, when I look back on it now, I'm like, damn, that was actually kind of easy. I should have kept doing that stuff. Um, right. But now I go to work. Um, I make good money. I come home. Get to drink bush every day. <laughs> um, but it was just, uh, for me, it wasn't hard. I just, I had to stop cold turkey, and that's what I did. I just stopped. Because um, that was going to be, that's the only way that I can quit something is just to stop. Yep. Uh, um, but, I mean, I've been putting in tiles since I was seven years old with my dad. So I knew how to work. I knew that I could fall back on that. And... I knew how to make a living. So it didn't bother me to stop racing. It just, the hardest thing was just, you know, saying goodbye to people, uh, sure. knowing not to see the guys anymore. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause I always wonder like what it's like the next season, like when 2015 is going on and you're not there. Right. What is that like? Did it ever hit you hard? Like, dang, I miss it. Or was it just, I miss the people. Uh, I miss the people. I still, I'm competitive in whatever I do. You know, I'm competitive yeah. and, and, and work and anything and anything that I do, I do 110%. But I knew I wasn't giving racing 110% of my mind anymore or my okay. head, you okay. know, because I was, I was, I had, when I had second thoughts in my head, you know, not yeah. about doing that jump or about freaking doing this or doing that. I'm just worried about the guy behind me or, um, you know, anything. Because I mean, I had, I had a lot of wrecks for my career, um, mm -hmm. not ones that I got hurt from. But there's a reason why I can't tell you how the Kawasaki phone call went down, how the Suzuki phone call went down, how a whole lot of things went down. Right. Because I broke a whole lot of helmets through my career. Um, yeah. And, you know, my head just took, <laughs> took a pounding throughout the years. Um, oh, I understand you know, for sure. It was just, oh. yeah, it's, and yeah, it just literally, it, it just hit me one day that, yeah, we're, we're good. Yeah. Well, and it's cool to end it again, like I said, on your own terms. I mean, maybe, I don't know what your goals and aspirations were when you were on the Can-Am. I don't know if you planned on winning championships or whatever, but at least it wasn't like the doors got shut and I didn't get a chance to go back, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it, hell, to win a championship would have been nice, but we, it would have been hard. Um, Cause the Can-Am was just, unfortunately it was an inconsistent, like you know um those years specifically even, you'd have like a really good first moto and then you'd have something break in in right. another moto and not even that it was my fault not that it was any of bcs's fault it was just those things had a mind of their own and when you're on a machine like that and you know you're giving you're you know you're giving everything but that machine might not want to finish the second moto and you're like well, I'm killing myself for nothing over here or, right. you know, I'm killing myself for a chance. And, um, yeah, no, I, I like, it's hard. Um, but you know, the way I see it, I, I won the last, uh, pro race that I ever did. So I wasn't, I wasn't, a, I wasn't there you go. Yeah, there but you go. That's awesome. Last moto of 2014 at once. So. I know. Yep. I know. I was, uh, that's one of the things that I was going to mention too. And again, to physically do it, to be able to, to, to race, 
um, through the end and then decide to end it, I think is a really cool thing. But probably the thing that stands out the very most to me was throughout your whole career, it, and especially at the end, obviously. And that's when I would have been around to kind of see it firsthand. But it always seemed like you were having fun doing it like you were enjoying yourself enjoying going to the races and you know some of the other guys maybe were like uptight and super super serious and whatever and you were having fun and being successful doing it at the same time and and, um i just think like you'd love to see that in an athlete and in a person yeah i mean that's that's how you hell man you only got freaking one life to live that's how you have to be with life uh whatever you do you got to enjoy it whether it's being racing or you know i still go to jobs now and i have fun with my contractors i have fun with the people that i work for and yeah it might just be sitting there in a freaking shower putting in tile but i still enjoy what i do and i enjoy going to work every day um even throughout all this stuff luckily i have a lot of new construction so um quarantining in somebody else's new house um you know i uh i couldn't not go to work and i couldn't not enjoy what i do that's for sure yeah that's uh again that's really cool and you're and you're so right i mean with everything you do in life um you know if you can enjoy it and make it fun it it doesn't seem like such tough work and you're going to be probably most successful that way too. So, and it's cool too. Cause like, it's not like you're, I mean, there's some guys that leave racing and it seems like they're a world away. Like they're not in tune, they're not accessible or whatever. And I mean, not that you're at all the races or anything like that, but it just seems like you're still around. You're still more accessible. You were at some of those Daytona races and commentating and doing some of those things, which I think is I mean, especially like as a former champion for you, like that has to be so cool because you kind of always have a home inside ATV racing. Um, at least like there's that family sense. So it's just cool for you to kind of still have that. You still have that connection to the sport. And I mean, obviously, you know, from your neck of the woods out there, like you still show up at Unadilla and have a good time and show face and all of that, that whole package of still being in the sport. Um <laughs> is just a really cool thing i think yeah and i'd, I'd show up to more races if uh if my boss would give me more time off but it's just it's hard um you know you try to somewhat stay involved but um i still like to show up every once in a while make sure people know i uh, haven't forgotten about everybody yeah no i don't i don't think that anybody's gonna forget about you anytime soon kind of speaking of that josh as an athlete um and i know this is a big question but as an athlete, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want people to think of Josh Creamer when they think of him now and, and years into the future? That's a good one. I even, I've never put any sort of thought into that. Um, I guess it all just kind of is going to be however they thought of me when they met me. Or if they if they never met me, who they thought I was, um, yeah, I don't I don't know. That's a really tough question. So I so I guess as because I mean maybe I have like a a relatively unique view because obviously you were somebody I really looked up to, then you were somebody I got to at least share the gate with, you know, later in your career, early in my career, and I always loved and you touched on it, but that that tenacity that you had and you were so self-motivated and like you were going to, 
you like just focused on one thing and we're going to make it happen. You didn't have to rely on a trainer, rely on a, on a nutritionist or things that other people had. You were just going to zone in and do it yourself. That was probably what I think of you most was like just a badass. Like he's going to make it happen. You know, like you were not going to leave any doubt that you did everything that you could possibly do, whether you won or lost, you were prepared as you could possibly be. And that's even like one thing still to this day, even with everything in life, you know, um, that preparation is something I still think of to this day and stuff that I do. And you're one of the people that I picked up on that from just even from afar. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that's (laughs) make it happen. That's, that's a statement that I have to say at least once a month now. Um, cause I always get myself into trouble cause I work for too many contractors that I've prioritized. Um, and they all end up calling at the same time. And I'm like, how the hell am I going to get all this work done? And you know, I got deadlines and it's like, yeah, we'll make it happen. And unfortunately I keep doing that. So I think they all are now working in cahoots with each other just to see if they can crack me one day, but they won't. Like, you know, there's, I'm there's, that's, I'm that guy. I'm, I'm the guy that's going to make it happen. Right. That's what I was going to say is there's some people that put their back up against the wall, put some pressure on them. That's when they're going to be at their best. And, uh, that's always seemed kind of to be the, the guy that you are, but, uh, you know, you, I mean, people are, are always going to remember you obviously for the championship that you got. And, um, you know, you got to race for the the better part of a decade and through some of what were the very best years in our sport. And uh, I think 99.9% of people would kill to have that career of yours. So um, again, I got to believe that, especially just listening to what you said now and kind of knowing when it was time and kind of um, just knowing when to move on. I would assume that you're super grateful and all of those racing memories are like, some of your best memories, I would assume. And you've made some of the best friends that you have through racing. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I got, I got a couple, uh, I'm supposed to be in, uh, or go to three weddings this year. Two of them are, uh, from friends that are from home and, you know, I've grown far apart, I guess, with some of these guys. And, um, I got a wedding I got to go to in Texas in December and it's kind of far away, but I'll make that wedding. Like, you know, I might miss friends from home, but some of my best friends are from racing. So, um, yeah. you know, um, and yeah, then the memories from racing, you can't, uh, you can't get rid of them. Um, and yeah, I might not have a good memory, but I do remember a lot of races, um, which is weird. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I think that you kind of just hold on to those things when they're that special. And um, there's just some of that stuff I don't think that your mind would let you forget because you've obviously had some some killer accomplishments. You know, the last kind of question I got for you before I let you go, um, obviously from listening to you, I've, I know how you feel about all these memories, about your career, whatever. But do you ever wonder like what could have been if Kawasaki and or Suzuki hadn't kind of shut down at such an inconvenient time for you? Yeah, a lot. I think about it a lot. Um, Not that 
I wish anything was different because I mean, I, I got a super successful business now. I got my own place. Like I'm, yep. I'm in a good, I'm in a good spot, but yeah, I mean, I wish I could have kept being more of a badass for a couple of years there for sure. Like, um, you know, I wish I could have, uh, at least got a couple of championships on about two, three, four, who knows? Like, right. You know, um, yeah, if that, if Cowie didn't go down, where are we going to win? Or if Cowie did go down, but Suzuki stayed alive, like, yeah, like life could have been a whole lot different. That's for sure. Yeah. I think, uh, obviously you're exactly right. I mean, you're, you're kind of like living the American dream, right? Like you're, you have your own business, you're successful, you have, you know, this good life that you've built, but you can't replace like showing up at an event and being a rock star and signing autographs and uh-huh. being all branded out and all your team gear and, and stuff like that. So, um, and I mean, that, yeah, it goes back to what I said earlier. Like, you know, I think about it now and I'm like, look at all these guys and they've been racing their whole life. And it's like, boy, you guys better freaking enjoy it. I'm telling you right now, because the second you guys end up stopping, you actually have to you know, literally figure out life again. Right. Um, yeah. It's tough. That's for sure. It's like being reborn. And, and yeah, I think um, your situation is maybe a little different, but you see a lot of people, whether they like have kids or they start having to work and race or whatever. And that's when they seem to be more successful is because like racing isn't the job anymore. Racing is like your vice from the real job. Uh-huh. If that makes yep. sense. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, yeah, I mean, it is like, that's why I like to ask people because everybody deals with it differently and uh, everybody's got a different story on how they take it. Cause people like literally go through a midlife crisis. Some people do kind of trying to figure out what life is like without racing. So it's kind of yeah. like being reborn, like you said. Yeah. But for me, Hey, it wasn't, it wasn't bad because I, I didn't start until I already lived uh, quite a bit of life. So right. I knew what life was already. And then I started racing and had an awesome career and was, was yeah. a rock star for a little bit. And then right. I went back to normal, normal guy. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. You know, obviously you had a super successful career and uh, you know, this is, this has been a blast to kind of recount it with you. Um, you know, I can't thank you enough, obviously for your time and for being such a gracious guest. Um, you know, maybe we'll have to get you back on sometime to break down some current racing uh, if you're up for it, because you're always welcome here. This is uh, one that I really looked forward to, and you lived up to the hype. Yeah, definitely, man. Awesome. Well, uh, again, Josh, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it, and uh, stay healthy, um, stay safe out there, and we'll talk soon. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, pal. What an awesome guy. Pumped to finally get the number nine of Josh Creamer on the show. Huge thanks to him for his time and willingness. He was an awesome guest. And we have to thank my producer, my brother Dallas, who always finds the time to fit the podcast into his busy schedule. So thanks, Dallas. Couldn't do it without you. We have to thank our sponsors as well. CST Tires, Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, Valvoline, SSI Decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, 
Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Gripped Gloves, Blender's Eyewear, Mountaineer Brand, Avocado Green Mattress, Roman Health, and Oats Overnight. Support the brands that support our show, and don't forget to use those codes to save. You can find all of our sponsor links and discount codes on our website at diggingdeepatvmx.com, so check that out today. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to donate via Patreon if it suits you. Simply visit our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com, and click the Support on Patreon button. This contribution will help prompt continued growth and improvement of the show and perks will be available to those who contribute including hearing your name on the show we greatly appreciate that support and those donations another way to support the show is by purchasing some of our new digging deep shirts available now in all sizes purchase on our website or you can message me on social media they're only $25 and all proceeds will go directly towards constant growth and improvement of the show. So thanks for the support and thanks for wanting to rep our logo on your t-shirts. We've sold a bunch of them, so thank you for that. And don't forget that you can be a part of the show by calling us and leaving a voicemail anytime. We play those voicemails from time to time, so you can call us and leave a voicemail or just call us, give us your suggestions. Uh, topics, questions, stuff like that. So call us anytime, leave a voicemail at 920-569-3519. That's 920-569-3519. And thanks for everybody that um, gets involved in the show there. Follow the show on social media, Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast, and myself, Cody Jansen, for additional behind-the-scenes content and breaking news during this crazy time. For now, keep that support coming and we'll keep the fire content coming as well. We'll keep providing content for your possible newfound downtime as high quality listening material is now in more demand than ever before. And we love the screenshots showing that you're listening. So send those in and I promise to keep sharing them. Again, subscribe to the show, give us a rating, tell your friends, share our posts, wear our shirts. It all helps spread word about us while growing the sport that we love. And remember, the show is available for anyone and everyone at diggingdeepatvmx.com where you can find our previous episodes, sponsor links, discount codes, shirts, and more all in one place. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Basically, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. Just an FYI, 60% of our listeners listen via Apple Podcasts. That's how I consume all my podcasts. Super enjoyable and probably the easiest way to listen, so I just thought I'd mention that because I get questions about it all the time. If you're an Apple user, Apple Podcasts is the way to go. Again, thanks to Josh Creamer. You're the man. Thanks for giving us your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Hope to have you back again sometime. And with that, for Josh Creamer, Dallas Jansen, and I'm your host, Cody Jansen, thanks for listening to the number one podcast in ATV Racing, 832,000 downloads and counting. Until next time, thanks for joining us in Digging Deep with the Stars of ATV Motocross. DNFs than James Stewart. See ya. Love ya. You don't want too big red, then. What the? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>